Hey everyone, before we get into the episode, one quick thing you can do to spread the love of this wonderful podcast that you like listening to is to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. Yeah, like a five-star review or whatever. Yeah, there are five stars, and if you give us all five of them... It's a cool thing to do. Yeah, the best part of waking up is five stars in our cup from you. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) You can follow us on Instagram to find out what movie we're going to be watching next and catch little clips of our episodes and to engage with us a little bit. Um, And yeah, just be sure to give us a follow at Movie Schmovies. Enjoy the episode. (laughs) Do it, you won't. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Zakai. And hi, I'm Lauren. And this is our show, Movie Schmovies, where we talk about movies and goof around and stuff. Come hang! We are two good buds who went to school together and studied film for a bit. Now we're grown-ass adults and we're figuring out, figuring out our shit. But until we do, we're gonna talk to you for an hour or two about a movie we viewed. This is Movie Schmovies, where our goofs are your good news. Hello and welcome to Movie Schmovies. I'm your co-host Lauren. And I'm your co-host Sakai. And today we're talking about the road trip buddy comedy about cancer and death and friendship and stuff, Paddleton. For the six people listening, it's 100 degrees. <laughs> right. Sorry, good, good friends. We love you. We want to provide the best audio, but I refuse to die of heat in my apartment. What did you think about this movie? I really liked it. I heard you cried like a little baby. I did cry like a baby. for, I, And by a baby, I mean that a tear rolled down my cheek, which is more than I can say for most sappy films. That's pretty impressive. I truly, I'm so proud of you for opening your heart to these two awkward boys. I This movie was more of a journey than I was expecting, both because of the plot, but also just because of my expectations. Yeah. I didn't know that this was a Duplass Brothers film. What does that mean to you? I don't, I don't know that I've seen a lot of Duplass films. Uh, most of the ones that I have seen are exceedingly uncomfortable. Hmm. In a way that is more upsetting than anything else. Right. I really, really love the Duplass brothers. I mean, I don't know how I feel about them as people. Mark Duplass is the only one who I know very much about. But in terms of the films that they make and the decisions that they make for filmmaking, I really, really admire them. Hmm. But I, as soon as I saw their name uh, in the opening credits, I was like, oh, no. This is going to be way weirder and more uncomfortable than I thought. And it ended up being really, really sweet. Yeah, really, really sweet in its uncomfortableness. Right. Uncomfortable in in a real way. When I think about Duplass Brothers Uncomfortable, it's like, have you seen the movie Cyrus? No. Is that the one with Jonah Hill? Jonah Hill, Marissa Tomei, and John C. Reilly. Yeah. Where Jonah Hill is in his 20s and behaves like a five-year-old with his mother. Right. Deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. In a way that is difficult to manage. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, no, this, this, their awkwardness in this, it was just so pure. They were equally awkward with each other, and so it was 
less about the awkwardness and more about the fact that they shared it and that being representation of their deep, deep love for each other. Well, and I think the thing is that it felt awkward maybe for us, but it clearly wasn't awkward for them. For Not most at all. Of it, which is well, and I, and I don't think that, and, and that's why I think it didn't feel awkward for me. Right. The awkward moments were when they were interacting with other people. Yes, and they were airing their grievances, which is so beyond understandable. I don't yeah. know. Wait. Okay, we can't. We keep doing this. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> what is your rating going into this? So I'm gonna go in with a rating of seven and a half. Okay. That's lower than I think I'm going to come out. I'm so and curious. And there are a couple. There are a couple concrete reasons why it's okay. losing some some percentage points. But okay. It, I very much loved this movie. Okay. I'm always so curious when you start out by saying I think it'll go up. Because I do tend to say that, don't I? You say it every other time. Yeah. You say it when you like a movie, and when you dislike a movie, you rate it. <laughs> because i'm like yeah this is probably good for things i don't mean to criticize you i'm really sorry i just bring it on i'm just genuinely curious i feel like whenever you like a movie you rate it i think and this also gives credence to why i was saying it's not that i think you're an optimist i think you're just being generous with some things when you really like a movie you rate it lower than you want in the very beginning yeah and then you always say and i think that i'm gonna rate it higher by the end of this well, I think for me, the hard part about this is I rated Hereditary an eight. At the end of and it. I'm, at the end. And I'm having a hard time figuring out how to compare the two of these on this same scale, which is mm. just maybe not fair to do. No, but, I think they aren't comparable at all. So I'm trying to uh, navigate. To, to be fair, I don't know how the fuck I'm going to rate this movie. <laughs> I've been thinking about it for, I mean, I watched it last night. I've been watching, I've been thinking about it since then. Yeah. And I have, I, I'm going to say eight because that okay. feels good. I think that's fair. Okay. I'm going to rate it an eight out of 10. That's great. And I cannot give you a real reason why. Okay. Let's it, create some reasons. Yeah. If anything, I would, I would probably rate it higher, but it's not, it's a feeling thing. It's not like clicking at yeah. nine out of 10 for me, but that doesn't mean that I won't feel that way. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are technical things to talk about that we'll get into, but at the end of the day, this film is really about how it makes you feel. Yeah. It made me happy. My dad started watching it partway through. My dad doesn't... My mom started watching it at the very end with me. Yeah, no, my dad within the last 15, 20 minutes. Wait, that's so cute. That's what my mom did. Really? Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> you came in and I was like, it was still cute and funny. And then I was like, oh, wait, do you know the plot? So I described the plot real quick. Yeah. You know, like it's about an assisted suicide and it's a friendship that has had to kind of overcome the emotional journey and blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. the, the movie ends and I'm crying and my dad is like, wow. And I was like, well, you missed like an hour and 15 <laughs> minutes of goofs <laughs> for some goofs and the sad part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because it's my mom, my mom appreciated it. I think my dad liked yeah. it a lot, which my dad, yeah. I will say this probably a million times over the course of this podcast. The man I admire most in this world does not like movies, doesn't care about them, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but he was interested in this one. <laughs> and Patricia loved it too. 
she watched the first hour and 10 minutes with me. <laughs> and then like tagged out and for then your she dad. just had to go to sleep and then my dad happened to stand there with his arms crossed in the doorway and was like and i was like do you want to like sit down and watch with me and he's like well i gotta now <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so cute that's really cute that your mom did the same thing though yeah before we go any further maybe we should jump into a synopsis yeah. to give some context give me that synopsis Andy and Michael are the two cutest neighbors you ever did see. (laughs) That's true. The glue of their awkward and endearing bond is made up of homemade pizzas, a single kung fu movie called Death Punch, and a game called Paddleton, which consists of hitting a ball with a racket against a humongous wall and trying to get it to bounce into a trash can. When Michael finds out he has terminal cancer, he chooses to die on his own terms and opts for assisted suicide. His prescribed medication can only be filled at a pharmacy six hours away. As he and Andy embark on a final road trip to pick up the medication, the gravity of this decision weighs ever more heavily on Andy, while Michael seems happily at peace. Mm, arguable. <laughs> that Whether he's at peace? Yeah. He seems... Yeah. Like, comparatively to Andy... Compared to Andy, for sure. He seems to be the epitome of... Epitome? That really turned you on, Siri? (laughs) Jesus. That's not even close. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever had an ad play that said, Hey, Siri, and then it just gets fucking gets your phone phone going? I've had that happen. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) After many moments of pettiness and poor communication from Andy, Michael is able to patiently coach him to release his understandably anxious fear of letting his best friend end his life. When Michael is finally ready to die, Andy is there to support him and hold his hands through the panic of a decision that cannot be reversed. (sighs) The trauma I I feel around this movie is actually pretty similar to what I feel around Hereditary. Really? The visceral level of kinship I feel with the character. Interesting. The film ends with a new mother and son moving into Michael's old apartment. Andy awkwardly yet endearingly introduces himself and promises to teach the boy how to play Paddleton, the best game on earth. That's Paddleton. That's Paddleton. (laughs) That's Paddleton. It's so cute. It's a movie that I honestly have been meaning to watch for, I mean... We have had this on our list from from pretty early on, and it was kind of just one of those movies that we kept on saying, oh, we could do Paddleton, and then neither of us felt excited enough about it to do it. Yeah. And it turns out what really needed to happen is we just needed to fucking sit down and watch it. Yeah, and I'm grateful we did. Me too. I, I think I did not have faith that it was going to be this good, because it didn't have to be. I... I think that I wanted it to be really good because I trust things that Mark Duplass is in. And after The Big Sick, I trust Ray Romano in movies like this. I trust Ray Romano a lot after The Big Sick. Yeah, I I think that I didn't didn't understand that he was an actor before that movie. Yeah. Because I'd never seen him in anything. I just knew that he was on that show. But knowing that he and Mark Duplass were playing against each other, I I knew I'd like this movie. 
Mm-hmm. I just wanted to, I talked to both my mom and my dad after we, I watched this mm-hmm. about how much, I think the way I phrased it was if I am ever casting for a drama from now on, I'm only ever going to cast comedians. Yeah. That's something that's been solidified in my brain is that, and, and it's sort of common knowledge. Actors talk about this and, and filmmakers yeah. talk about this, that comedians are just way better at dramatic acting because comedy is so much harder. Yeah. I, and Coming from a very, very amateur version of the world of improv, that's been a part of the narrative in my life since I was... Yeah. When did I start improv? Since I was 13. The ones that pop up in my head are... Jim Carrey. Yeah. John C. Riley. John C. Riley. What's what's his uh from the office? What's his name? Steve Carell. Steve Carell. Yes, yes. Steve Carell. Also Julie Louise Dreyfus. Yes, yes. Truly any comedian that has tried drama that I can think of. Yeah. I it's when I was in high school, one of the games that we did was one that was just straight drama. And that was Mm. one of the easiest games for me to play. It was really upsetting some of the time, but it was the easiest because it's improv. What's easy about it? Because it's it, it it's more you're not trying to prescriptive. Be, you're not trying to be funny. You're just being honest, and honesty is much more dramatic. Right. <laughs> just straight up. When you're trying to be funny, I think that both are about honesty, but drama mm-hmm. leans into the honesty, and comedy, in my experience, in improv, takes honesty and then twists it at the last second Mm -hmm. in a way that is relatable or surprising or whatever. There are so many ways that it could be twisted, but you have to start from a point of honesty for it to feel like good comedy. It's why all of my favorite comedians tell honest stories that are also funny. Yeah. But I think it's why I really liked this version of a comedy where it was really hard. It was really honest when Andy has to agree to helping in Michael's journey to Mm -hmm. ending his life voluntarily. He is also agreeing to end his own life as he knows it. Sure. Yeah. To lose the only friend he has. And his entire routine. Everything about his life. Right. He doesn't care about work. What he cares about is his time with Michael when he's walking yeah. to work, seeing Michael drive by, every it's his his person, his soulmate, yeah. and he's he has to agree to that. And they are they still find humor despite how hard that is. And I think that's why this movie was so it just walked the line so perfectly. Yeah, and I think in terms of writing and conception, what's so effective about it is that. The plot is very simple. Yes. But it's very dramatic because it's about one thing and that is suicide. Yeah. And just death in general. And death. (laughs) And so you, so you have that as your foundation and then it's just jokes and occasional confronting death. Yeah. Yeah. And And that's, that's going to be good every time. Yeah. (laughs) 
And this really interesting friendship dynamic that's established. I mean, it, the movie starts in the hospital, so there is never not tension about yes. cancer. But yeah. there, it is established so early on how their friendship works, where Andy Ray Romano is just a much more anxious person. Just yeah. much more, well, but that's not how things work. What about the rules? And Right. And, and, and getting caught up in ways that if he were, to, even if him, the very anxious person, were to step back for a second, would recognize he sounds ridiculous. Right, yeah. And it's, and it's part of why his relationship with Michael, who is so optimistic, go with the flow, I don't care, like why their relationship works so well, because they both understand each other and they both understand each other's perspective. And they understand each other's love language. Yeah. Right. They seem to share I think the a reason, similar one. They do. Yeah, and it, it's 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 baked into those routines that they have and their and their friendship and how it manifests. But they, I think, the reason that Michael is so patient with Andy is because he understands that this is all coming from a place of love. And yeah, I mean, I do kind of want to talk about that dynamic because. I think that it's clear that Michael is being so patient, but it also, it's so hard to watch two people who have equally valid reasons for being upset, but one of them is, should be more upset. Dying of cancer. One of them is dying. I mean, yeah. it's exactly that moment where he says, I'm the dying guy. I'm the other guy. And Hermano says, I'm the other guy. It's that exact, that's so perfectly exemplifies the complicated nature of it. I think that's the very core of the movie. Is yeah. That, that back and forth. Yeah. What, what did you feel about that part, that moment? I just... Are you saying... I just felt for both of them. I just... I think it's really... I, I guess I just... It sounded like you were saying that Andy should have been focused on less. His part of his part of the trauma should be focused on less should have been focused uh, on less is that no not necessarily because i think that he he recognizes how hard it is maybe for michael but he doesn't want because he doesn't want it to be true he's not experiencing the same physical pain mm -hmm. and deadline <laughs> that michael right. is and so I think just what's interesting is the ways in which Michael, despite his, despite that urgency, is still looking out for Andy in such a real way. Where he's like, oh, like the pharmacist is at the bar. You both like Kung Fu. How can I make you friends? Oh, this woman at the hot tub. I'm going to go. No, 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 no. You stay. The ways in which he is still actively putting himself out there in any way that he can help Andy move forward while he's also experiencing the active pain and suffering of being a person who has terminal cancer was. And who is actively seeking suicide. Right. Yeah. He decided that he was going to die. Right. On his terms. And right. But that's terrifying. It's so scary. And which is why it's so interesting to me that he was so, he was such a brave character in that way. I guess. Yeah, like, I I'm agree. Just, it's not that, it's not to say anything about 
their relationship necessarily because I don't think that it's fair to judge either side because I get both sides of it. It's just no, I think an impressive thing to do as a friend. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it could, this could easily be interpreted as Andy is being pretty shitty and Michael has to both deal deal with his own trauma, his own fear around his cancer and his death and also take care of his friend's feelings. Right. But and I think that it doesn't it doesn't feel that way. No, I think that, in the way that it bl- plays out. I think that the I'm the dying guy that moment is when that yeah. does come to a head where he's like, right. can you not just see what's happening for a second? He's, he's right. trying to offer a little bit of perspective to Andy, who has at that point lost some perspective. Totally. But overall, it is such an equal friendship. Yeah. In so many ways. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Patricia mentioned it's so funny how the guy who's dying is the optimistic one. (laughs) Of course, he's the one who's going to die. And ultimately, I kind of assumed that he was the main character at the beginning of the movie. He just wasn't. Michael? Yeah. What do you mean? I think Andy was the main character. Hmm. Really? You think there there was one? You don't think it was just a story of the two of them? No, no, no. I think it's a story of the two of them. But if you had to pick who the narrative arc is about... Hmm. Michael decided that he was going to die on his own. Right. And then he died on his own terms. And he obviously struggled through that, but he made a decision and he followed through on it because it was what was right for him. And Andy had to learn about this, come to terms with it, fight against it. Be in denial about it. Right. And then ultimately accept it and support it. Right. Even beyond accepting it. And then move right. on. And I, I think that he was truly the narrative arc of the film in a way that I, I wasn't quite expecting. I thought that it was a really good point. A little more balanced because it, it did feel like such an equal partnership. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I I I like that. Cause I mean, you are, you're feeling for Andy throughout this experience because he's the one that seems to be suffering more in a really strange way. Yeah. And I just wanted to hold him. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing that was so valuable about the writing and Ray Romano's acting was it just felt very real. In a kind of nice way that was, I I didn't, I didn't feel bad for him. Yeah. I think that that's really valuable. I didn't pity him at any point. I just was like, damn, you're going through a thing. You know? What do you mean you didn't feel bad for him? I don't know if that's exactly what you mean. I think that I didn't pity him as me. Pitying, I think, is less what I felt. I felt bad for him because he's going through a terrible thing, but I didn't feel bad for him in the condescending Sympa- way. Sympathy versus pity. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's, yes, thank you. That's exactly yeah. what I mean. I felt incredibly sympathetic the entire time. He was, Yeah. it was easy to relate to why he was feeling the way he was feeling, and it felt shitty that he felt that way, but I wasn't. It was totally understandable. Right, beyond understandable. Right. When they're at 
when they're at the bar and there's that weird open mic thing. <laughs> and they do the whole kung fu reenactment, the whole death movie reenactment. Oh my god. <laughs> and it's it's Michael really putting himself out there in a way that was really surprising that I really liked. Yeah. And him losing confidence because he thinks that Andy is left and Andy starts shaking the barrel. I but I lost it. I swear at the very end of the movie when they had that cute moment of of Michael being like, I know you probably won't like this, but if I were to come back yeah. and give you a sign. <laughs> and Andy was like, Okay, at this point I'm gonna think everything's a sign, so like we have to settle on a thing. And I was in yeah. the background just screaming, A shaking barrel! <laughs> a barrel! <laughs> You're right, that would have been so cute. <laughs> but why would he have a barrel in his home? Ugh. So, to bring up a point, maybe maybe the only thing that's bringing this down to a seven and a half for me, and n- now reflecting on it is, I feel like I should have more reasons, is the music mm-hmm. felt wrong. Um, It wasn't, it didn't infuriate me, it was still totally able to watch and and sort of not lose the emotional connection with the characters in the story but it just felt like it could have been better in my experience it was very much in line with every other duplass brothers production i've seen really yeah that they choose the wrong music mostly quiet and then music that is not on par with what i'm used to it's not bad music it's just not composed it doesn't seem, yeah, it doesn't seem like a decision. Yeah. It seemed if you, the, if writing, like the writing and the performances, the writing and the performances seemed so crafted. Yeah. And thoughtful. And the music, to me, what it felt like is when I'm editing something and we're picking music, it felt like the first track that you find, mm-hmm. which ne- almost never ends up being the one that you use. It's just here's my guess at the vibe we're going for. Yeah, it, it and it works and it works enough. But if you want this to be really good, you need to find something different. I, in my experience, and I don't think that I've thought about this until you are mentioning this, but I don't think that any Duplass brother productions. In my experience, what they do is they do a lot of absence of music intentionally, and I think they do mm-hmm. absence of music better than they do music. Sure. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the moments were. I mean, a lot. I think a lot of the heavy dialogue scenes, there wasn't music. Yeah, there wasn't music for a lot of the movie, but there was music for when they played Paddleton, and that was kind of weird. It was fine. Right, it was but that's, but that's the issue, is that it's... Yeah. I wanted, I wanted the, the emotions I was feeling. I wanted the depth of the emotions I was feeling for these characters and the writing and the story to be mirrored in the music choice. Yeah. And it didn't feel that way. And that's the point of music in movies. I mean, sure it, is. it definitely felt like it was, they didn't compose music for the film. No. Which isn't an issue necessarily, but films that don't compose, they pick their soundtrack so intentionally that it is just as powerful. Right. And... That did not come across at all in this. Yeah, it didn't even it didn't even feel from song to song that it, there was 
consistency. I couldn't even tell you what. I think there was piano. Yeah. That's a really good point. I didn't really write about that, but I, I absolutely agree. I, I the think other, that was the other piece, weak. the other piece for me was that the pacing of the editing. I'm, I'm not, I'm trying to decide if it was done well here. And it was just that it took me some time to adjust to it in the beginning. Cause that's when I wrote these notes mm-hmm. or if it was true throughout. Mm-hmm. By the end of the film, I was not, I wasn't thinking about it anymore. Mm-hmm. I was, I had fully invested in the style and it, and was engaged in the story enough that it mm-hmm. didn't come up for me again. Yeah. Although I will say the, the scene where the suicide actually occurs, that long take. Mm-hmm. That was long. It was very long. And that brought me back to thinking about pace editing. At that, me too. That's one of the only notes I took on editing in the whole movie. I was like, oh, And I'm whoa. trying to decide... I I don't know if I if I if I was noticing it because I was like, oh, this is a really compelling choice and I think is really effective or if it was just, oh, I'm noticing the editing again. Yeah, that's not good because I should be focusing on the story. Yeah, I uh, it felt like a bit of both. That's yes, I absolutely agree. And in a very emotional moment in a film, I typically appreciate a long take. I like it when you settle in those terrible feelings and give the audience an opportunity to feel it. Yeah. And process a little bit. I it's why I really typically do not like movies that something emotional happens and you cut away from it really quickly. I what movie were we talking about maybe on this podcast? Oh. Wait, no, no, no. It was for the Oscars when we watched Jojo Rabbit. Oh, yeah. Jojo Rabbit, I was really disappointed because typically in a movie like Boy, Taika does such a good job of giving you space to grieve and feel. And you did not get that experience in Jojo Rabbit. And so any movie that offers you that space, it's why I like it's it's literally the reason that I like Park Chan-wook and Michael Hanukkah. They offer violence and trauma as a commentary on popular cinema and then they make you sit with it right in a way that is so upsetting but much 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 more real than you know an avengers movie where yeah however many thousands of people die and it's no big or a hostile movie I, right, like, it, like a modern genre horror that is I well, right, frankly, most is, horrors. Right. It just it's not really common to sit with that actual genuine horror and pain. Right. And yeah, it's something and, that I just I think that the long take is a really good way to offer that sitting in the feeling, but it it felt like it was offering that in this movie but maybe a little too out of place to feel organic maybe that's what it well, was i don't and know the bone that i want to throw yes to this movie is that that's, and i was is that a phrase to throw someone a bone yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. nope 
<laughs> no, you said it in that way, and then I got it. But the first way yeah. you said it, my brain was like, the bone you want to pick? Is that what you mean? I'm no, I want to throw know. a bone. Okay, you're going to throw a bone to this movie. At, to this movie, yeah. You're going to throw a bone not at hard, this movie. Not hard. Not hard. It'll be like an underhand lock. <laughs> right, okay. So that they can catch it in their mouth and eat it if they want. Uh-huh. The bone that I want to throw this movie yes. is... Something that is done so effectively well in the performances and in the writing is how awkward this film is in the way that the actors choose to react to things. Mm. I was having this experience where multiple times Ray Romano would be given news, be given something to have an emotion about. And the way that he responded to it every time was different than how I expected him to. Mm. And so one way to react to that, and maybe my gut reaction was to say, oh, that's bad acting. That's, that's, not, that's not how I would respond to that. Mm-hmm. But then I would check that and, well, I would remember that people are different. <laughs> <laughs> right, fair. Baseline. But then I would remember that... This is a really, really awkward character. Right. And so the ways that they're dealing with their emotions are allowed to be totally new and inventive. Mm -hmm. And so in that context, when I was seeing that final long take, I was also having the thought that the way this is being shot is not the way I would do it. Mm -hmm. But it feels right that it's reflective Mm -hmm of that same idea that Andy's character and the way that he feels is something that the situation is something I can relate to and put myself in, but the way he's reacting to it is not how I would react to it and therefore maybe requires being shot differently. Right. The main, the main piece that I took issue with or that I felt I would have done differently was at the very end of that take, when he, when, when he leaves the kitchen, the camera steps in front of him mm. and is weaving through the hallway and you don't see him in the frame. Right, it's about and the glass. And then you don't see the glass. You don't see anything. You don't? No. And then, it's, and then the camera stops right outside the hallway. Mm. And, then, and, and then the glass comes into frame and then Andy oh, comes to the frame oh, and stands okay. in front of him. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. The first issue I took with that was, it seems like you're establishing now that this is from Andy's perspective. And then you have him come back into to be in front of the frame. And that yeah. felt awkward to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm giving the Duplass brothers too much credit, but that it was effectively an awkward way to shoot it. Yeah. To have this, to be trying to establish this language, implying this language and then taking that away. Right. Well, and also Andy taking his himself mentally in and out of it. In and out of the shot. In and out of the shot and also in and out of literally what's happening mentally. Right. Just how engaged can you be? Right. I'm about to, I'm literally giving my friends the cup of water that will kill him. Yeah. And how chill he is about it when he's measuring it out, putting in the cup, mixing it up. Yeah, it does. It does feel in that moment that he is kind of detached. Right. Because you have to be. I mean, how? Yes. Right. Exactly. It's interesting because this, this is just making me think this is what film school was about for me was you can make any argument 
about how to interpret a film. Yeah. And that was most of my essays. That's And genuinely, literally, the thing I like about movies. I think that I need to come to a, a, a more accepting place about that. I, I would argue that you don't necessarily, though. Because I like movies in an academic sense. When I uh-huh. talk about shots, I'm not talking about how I would have done it differently. I'm questioning, why'd they do it that way? Cool, huh? Weird. I have no interest in doing it right. Yeah. And you have an interest in doing it right by you. Right. You know, there's a reason. I, I don't, I, I think there's absolutely a reason that I see it in this more fanciful <laughs> Everyone's correct in their own way, even though I, I think, literally I think half, that's, the, half of these conversations, I'm like, this person is fucking wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I think that is a very flattering point, And so I like it for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I think I kind of disagree. At least for now, I am still very much not sure what. I don't have confidence in my vision. And so I'm very much trying to learn from these movies. Is there a way to look at this so that it was intentional? And is that effective? I, how can I make, how can I make, how can I open my mind to, to different ways to make these decisions that are equally intentional choices? Yeah, I, I really like that. But I also, I mean, part of this is also coming from a place where you haven't really seen other movies by these guys. It's true. And so you don't have the same context that I have where I've seen multiple movies by these guys. Yeah. And so I think it's also a lot easier for me to be like, hmm, yes, it's the Duplass brothers doing the thing they do. Mm-hmm. So there's one shot that I, maybe my favorite shot in the movie that support potentially supports this theory that I'm building, that there's a deeper intentionality of awkwardness in the filmmaking itself, in the cinematography itself. Uh, and in the editing. Yes. And maybe in the music, too. I mean, the, if we're going down that road, I I, I feel less strongly about it. I feel the least strong in that regard about the music, but I agree. But the saying. shot that I'm thinking of is, I think it's right after they have their big fight where he says, I'm the other guy. And they're driving back. Mm-hmm. And Andy is sitting in the back seat, cradling the safe. Yeah. And it's the shot starts looking at the front window mm-hmm. and then it's a slow pan yeah. that goes past Michael in the driver's seat and then to the back seat that was where Andy's nice sitting shot. and then it goes back past Michael mm. and ends out the front of the car mm. and it felt to me <laughs> like the cameraman was sitting in the passenger seat and was like <laughs> doing whatever I feel wanted. so awkward right now <laughs> it felt, if I were <laughs> Just if that was my perspective and right. I was sitting in that seat, I'm like, okay, just look out the window. <laughs> okay. It is a little bit weird that he's sitting in the back seat, but I can't acknowledge that. So I'm just going to go back and look out the window. <laughs> and and it, it's weird because it kind of breaks from the drama of what's of the, of the, of our two characters I a mean, little bit. That shot but, also, does that break rules? 180 rules? It doesn't break 180, does it? No. No, because there's no... It'd have to cut. To no, I know, but it just feels <laughs> like that. Like, here's the line of sight. 
I we should describe what the 180 degree rule is. We're going to we're going to have to post a link cuz the visual I the visualization say, of the 180 degree rule is much easier to comprehend. I mean, the thing that has always that has always helped me is there's something called shot reverse shot where if two people are having a conversation, often you're looking over one person's shoulder and seeing the person they're talking to. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to the person that they were talking to. So person A, you're we're looking over person A's shoulder at person B. It cuts mm-hmm. over person B's shoulder to look at person A. And imagine they're sitting at a table across from each other and there's a piece of tape that goes from behind person A to behind person B. And the camera can only stay on one side of that piece of tape. Which means practically that it can only be over a single shoulder. Right. You can't switch to the other shoulder. Right. The shoulders have to be on the same side. And that way there's some sort of visual continuity that is recognizable for the audience. And that's why an establishing shot is important. We're getting into the weeds. I, this well, is- but also I think I think the, the, the baseline point to make is that even if you don't know these rules and yes. aren't able to say, yes, oh, that's, that's, that's breaking the 180 degree line. If it breaks the 180 degree line, it will make you feel uncomfortable. Right. You may not be able to put words to that, but it will make you feel like you've lost yeah. I think that a sense for where people are. That's scene. absolutely the most important point. <laughs> which that's is, the reason it's done. It's not right. because it satisfies people who know about the 180 degree right. rule. It's done because it exists because otherwise it looks crazy right. to watch. If it doesn't happen, then any person watching it will be confused by what's happening on the screen. I think the the most, maybe not the most clear way, but the thing that clicked for me the first time that I learned it was that, or the first time I understood it, was that it's about cutting. It's not about, yes. so that's why we're saying that this is not doesn't necessarily apply because it's, so if you cut and you're staying on that side of the line, you will have, if you have a, let's say to keep it simple, you have a profile of the two actors and you have, the actor on the left is facing to the right of the frame, facing the character on the right. And the character on the right is facing to the left of the frame, facing the character on the left. If you were to take a shot that was on the other side of that line for the character who was before that on the right, their face would now be facing to the right of the frame. And so it would look, if you were just to cut between those two shots, it would look like they were looking in the same direction and one guy was looking at the other guy's back. Yeah. Which is a way that sometimes scenes happen, but it usually only happens in soap operas, and it's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> where, where you'll yeah. have the character will sort of look at the window, and the other character's behind them, but they're talking to them. Right. I Yeah, I'm trying to think of... Your father. <laughs> He's dying. He fell down Also, he slept shaft. with the handmaiden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am um, I I have to pee. Um okay. but then there are at least two things that I want to talk about when I get back. Okay, go go go. Okay. Okay.
two other things I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Lay them on me. Three things. Hey. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) One is I thought it was really cute how the movie literally started with them and continued with them only calling each other neighbors. They never called each other friends Mm -hmm. until the very last scene of them together when Michael says, you're my best friend. Because he calls out the halftime speech. And he's like... I was hoping we were going to get to talk about that. Yeah. Okay, so I guess four things. What up with that (laughs) halftime speech? (laughs) That was a great speech. It was really him screaming it in a bathroom of a bar. (laughs) It's so funny. But I think what was so great about it his delivery was poor because he was awkward and he was doing it in a bathroom and that made it even more awkward. But also if he'd been doing that exact speech in front of a bunch of kids, would it have been better? I think if... Like it might have been. No, no. Well, it might have been, but he was acknowledging that he didn't really want to do the speech himself. He wanted to sell it to yes, a coach. Yes, that's such a good point. Yeah, to have Coach Taylor <laughs> give that speech, I think that is an, an immediate rebel rouser. Yeah. Clear eyes bright sports full heart <laughs> what it's a bright sports i don't know what <laughs> <it> is <laughs> yeah i think I, it was i thought it was a great it, it, was, a great it was sweet speech. and it was also it was sweet that the movie ended on him offering in in offering friendship to his new downstairs neighbor the young boy offering not only to teach him paddleton which we haven't even talked about the game fuck five things i wanted to talk about <laughs> But also, by the way, I have a killer halftime speech. Yeah. And that was really, really sweet. It was really sweet. Because these are, I mean, because we've learned that these little quirks are his love language. Yeah. And while to someone who hasn't seen a whole this whole movie and maybe just came in at the last 15 minutes <laughs> might feel like that's just awkward that he's talking to a kid that way. Right. You understand that he's opened his heart. Yeah, it's so nice. I'm trying to think of anything else I want to talk about. I really like their yokes. Sand off. Sand off? This, this is a genuine question. How many wishes would you have to get from a genie before you would reach where you would say sand off? Um, I think I'm more in the Michael pool. Of, oh, are you kidding I, me? <laughs> He's the one that was like, are you he kidding said, like, me? Like, I have said, like, so many other wishes I can come like, up with. He said, like, 500,000, and Andy said 10. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if 500,000, because Sandoff is a great idea, but... And the other one was pajamas on. <laughs> 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 I, 
He's so weird yeah. and sweet. When he's looking, when he has his beanie over his whole face, and he was yeah. like, he's like, this I can see. This is how flies see. This see. It's so cute. Also, when he says that uh, ostriches are the fastest <laughs> land animal. <laughs> cheetahs, cheetahs have four feet. Her leg, they're the fastest. That's what he yeah. said. I wrote it down. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I don't think there's much to say about Paddleton the sport, except that I would totally much. play it. No, it's it looks not, like fun. It looks like a blast. It looks like exactly the kind of game that you and Nick would play. Outside of, outside of our apartment when we lived in Worcester for hours yeah. and just be like, look, hey, look, <laughs> look, 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 at, <laughs> look, we got in the thing. Look. <laughs> like, That's so true. Okay. Other things I wanted to talk about. Yeah. The use of T-shirts and other visual marketing things. So the one visual marketing thing that stood out, and this is 100% on Patricia catching this, is that they went to the pharmacy that where they got the meds and yeah. where there was stationary, it was spelled stationary, like standing still, which the, those two words are spelled differently. Couldn't have told you that. Uh, I, it was, I also, <laughs> I wasn't really paying attention to that part of it. And Patricia was like, oh my God, it's so funny that it spelled like that. And I was like, I've been taking notes on his t-shirts this whole time. And how the <laughs> words have meaning. There was when Michael. Fatty got, pork. When <laughs> fatty pork, for sure. Ultimately, the most important piece of media didn't actually mean anything. Totally. But the sweatshirt that he was wearing when he got the news, when Michael got the news that he had terminal cancer it yeah. said your loss in huge letters and all these other i mean the fatty pork was the big one i right. think but it was ultimately just all of these messages all around and then the most important message to their friendship didn't have a meaning and that was so nice it was really nice how does that relate to the this idea you're developing around all the messages. I think that in my mind and I'm still developing this basically there's all this shit that has secondary meaning mm-hmm. all around and it's it kind of it, it's interesting to have the conversation at the end where Andy is like I gave you a shirt that doesn't mean anything because you're always sad when you figure out the meaning Right, And there is something too. seeing the phrase your loss and then he gets the phone call and it's like, oh, I get it. And seeing the word stationary huh. spelled the right way or spelled the wrong way for what stationary is and them being stuck in this position and at this weird standstill. Oh, your face this, right now. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. I really... This is the exciting thing about watching and learning about movies <laughs> yeah. is sometimes you get to have these experiences where something just totally clicks and it, whether it's true or not that this was intentional, it just feels like this was a really well-crafted film in ways that I wasn't even thinking about. So in early, early on in the movie, I was writing down 
what did I write? I said, I, I chose to be on board. I said, I'm on board with the blatant metaphors seems to cut these because the movie seems to come by them honestly, mm. but the, the death punch movie yes and all the times that it's set up as the punchline for the emotions that the characters are feeling i mean the the clearest the the most transparent metaphor was just when they were watching the part where the apprentice is carrying the dying master on his back and it's as michael is circling the drain and Mm -hmm. The, the apprentice also has to reach this acceptance that there is an irreversible, irreversible damage that has been done. Yeah. And that he can't control it. But I, just these moments where the thing that happens in scene is heavy-handed in delivering you a metaphor yeah. for how they're feeling. And I just decided to buy into that and was like, okay, it's kind of cute and it's nice. Mm -hmm. But what the point that you're making is that that could be seen as intentional to build to this finality that all of the, throughout this film, all the messages are clear and two dimensional. And it finishes with this acceptance that what's truly satisfying in life is the things that don't have concrete meaning. Yeah, I think that in my... And that that's, that's, a, that's a really good reflection on dealing with death. Right. Yeah, no, I think that it, it was very intentionally... Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I think it was very intentionally, like, all of these obvious things are true, and it's not that they aren't true or that they don't matter. It's that the right. most important thing, the thing that you get the most amount of value from is, are these undefined things there are so many defined things in our lives and that's just true and so it's the undefined that actually forces you to delve in that little bit deeper and to maybe not get a satisfying answer and that's satisfying in and of itself and i i think that that was really well communicated through these dumb shirts he was wearing yeah that's a really good catch lauren i happened to notice it so early that i was taking notes throughout and I'm so yeah. glad I did. Yeah. I'm just so happy that we reached that c- conclusion about the, the fatty pork because it contextualizes. I think one of the things that I was I was feeling less strong about in this film was just that it's very, very sweet. But the metaphors are all bopping you right on the nose. Yeah. Well, and that's why fatty pork to me was the most important part of the whole movie. I agree. Fuck. <laughs> so cool. So cool. We didn't talk about when he got a hard on in a uh, hot tub. That conversation with her was wonderful. She talks about her husband who died. Yeah. And how he's all and around her. And she said, he's here, so I'm here with him. And then she said, He's always with me, but he's also gone. Yeah. And that was when Andy kind of broke down. Mm -hmm. But that was such a meaningful moment of seeing a person who was a little bit adventurous and flirty and very different from Andy while also sharing a lot of traits with him. But also having a much more healthy understanding of death. Well, and having come to a much healthier understanding of death. And that was a really valuable moment 
And I'm curious about why there were, I mean, maybe not jokes, but the whole moment where she was like, or you could have a king bed. Right. It was supposed to be more of a joke than it felt like to me. It was just highlighting this thing that you're starting to feel yourself, which is that although no one said it explicitly, these guys really do appear to really love each other. And it's well, so much so that it's obvious they, to the rest of... They do love each other. It's just not yeah. romantic. They love no, each totally. other so deeply. It's just not romantic love. But but nothing nothing's been explicitly said about that yet. Not yeah. I'm not saying about the distinction between romance or not romance mm. or non-romance. I'm just saying nothing's been said about how intimately they love each, love each other. other. Yeah. Which yeah is and, and so that's that's it's an acknowledgement that yeah. I see I see the connection you two have. Yeah, yeah. And she does say like once they're in the hot tub, she does say outright the love was palpable. Yes. <laughs> Which I I did like in that open mic scene that Michael who for a lot of the movie is kind of framed as the dude with his head on his shoulders who Andy relies on that scene reveals how reliant they are on each other yeah and I really really liked that that it isn't just that Andy is some sad dude it's that they are friends who kind of need each other and that's all they're it is. Pee, they're peas in a very awkward pod. Yeah. Final note. Yeah. Death Punch ended with see you down the road, friend. And I thought that was a really beautiful way to end the movie. Before he then had a weird conversation with a child. <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. Final ratings? You go first. I... I'm going with an eight and a half. Mm. Fuck Hereditary and the precedent I set. This is a really great movie that made me feel very deeply. And all I've learned from this conversation is that I think that it's even more intentional than I had originally thought it was. That there is so much love and care put put into the decisions around this film. Yeah. I feel like eight and a half feels right. I might follow you on that. I was gonna, Fucking I was, copycat. I was going to say nine, but then it was one of those things where if I were to give my top rated movies of all time, this is a wonderful movie. Yeah. But just because it's a wonderful movie. I don't know. Eight and a half. I'm going to go with eight and a half. I'm not going to overthink it. Okay. I think there's so many movies, you know, <laughs> like it's. <laughs> There are at least 200 movies. <laughs> so many. <laughs> oh my god, that got me real. <laughs> real good. There are so many movies. <laughs> movies for Movies is hosted by Lauren Kelly and me, Sakai Kalachwartz. Our theme song is written by me and produced and performed by Pam Reyes, who can be found at Banana Pam Cake on Instagram and Pam Reyes Music on Facebook. This week's synopsis music is by Dr. Turtle. We've shared a helpful video for visualizing the 180-degree rule in our show notes. That's all for this week. Next episode, Shrek, with special guest, my partner and certified Shrek-spert, Rachel Keen.
thanks for hanging out with us. Hello and welcome to Movie Shmovies. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, oh yeah, I am recording. Mother. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 I gotta get through this. <laughs> sorry, okay. <laughs>